Hey everyone, welcome back to Rising Giants with your hosts Max Thornton and Dominic Kalusik, releasing a podcast every Wednesday. Today on the show, we're diving further into the Thailand startup ecosystem. We've got Casino Apte on the podcast. He is the co-founder of Gamealytics. Gamealytics is an esports analytics and management platform. They provide esports teams with tools to streamline daily operations as well as advanced data analytics to improve player performance, optimize strategy, and sharpen team composition. They're dealing with games such as Valorant, Overwatch, Rocket League, Counter-Strike 2, League of Legends, and Dota 2. We really hope you enjoy tuning into this episode, and if you can get a chance, please give us a review on whichever platform you're listening to this podcast on, whether that be Google, Apple, Spotify, etc. We really appreciate it, and thanks for tuning in an issue with like going into a podcast uh, and we're like 15 minutes and we're like shit we forgot to hit record <laughs> nice yeah. yeah but in any case casino welcome to rising giants you're the co-founder at gamelytics an esports management and analytics platform designed to streamline day-to-day tasks and help esports teams make better decisions we are really happy to have you on and excited to dive into your background, into your business, and yeah, and to learn a little bit more about yourself. So thank you for joining us on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be on here. Yeah, awesome. Well, I think a great place to start would be if you could talk to us a little bit about your early journey in your career and kind of what was the precursor that set you on the course to co-founding Gamelytics? Yeah, it's a good place to start. You know, you talk about my early career, but I'm still 24. I like to think I'm still in my early career. But yeah, I think there's definitely a couple things. I think the number one takeaway is that I think this this founder mindset, or I guess it's not really a founder mindset when it started, but this enjoyment of building things, going from zero to one. I think in middle school and high school, uh, I built an artificial coral reef with my friends off the coast of Thailand. In high school, I also started a business where my friends and I would throw house parties. So I've always had sort of the sense for throwing business, creating things or starting businesses. This transpired to a more formal business actually in college where I started a a tea company. We sold loose leaf teas in about 50 farmers markets in LA. Uh, But sort of this enjoyment of building things and going from zero to one, either as a passion project or a business has always been something I, I enjoyed. It's really the enjoyment of creation, which I think has transpired into starting companies and Gamelytics. And in those early, I guess, passion projects or businesses that you started, were there any big learnings that you had taken away from them that kind of you hold those values to you today? Definitely. I think that, you know, to talk about a business sense, I'd like to go back to my previous business, which was called Meta Teas. And we were we sold loose leaf CBD teas at farmers markets in LA. The operation started super small, actually, my summer, uh, my summer of my sophomore year. And over the course of three months, we scaled to around 10K MRR. MRR. And, you know, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned about this in my first business was not repeating things that work. Uh, I was young and I wanted to go into wholesale and close these big ticket orders with Whole Foods and Erewhon and cool things that I didn't actually reinvest and scale things that were working. The business eventually closed during COVID because we didn't have the cash flow and farmers markets closed down. But I think that the number one takeaway I've sort of taken from passion projects and businesses is one, if it's not broken, don't fix it. 
And if it's working, I think that once you sort of strike gold, you should try to scale that and repeat that over and over rather than trying to explore and expand to new opportunities, which was sort of my first mistake in the business. But that's really the key takeaway I've learned, and I'm trying to apply that with Gamelytics. Great. And before diving into Gamelytics, were there any individuals, mentors, people that had helped you in, in, in your learnings as being a founder for a business or someone that, that helped you along the way in, of course, your early career in, in establishing these businesses that you're still keep in touch with today or continue to learn from? Yeah, I think that I've definitely had lots of mentors uh, throughout, throughout. One that really comes to mind is my first business partner. Uh, his name's Fernando. He actually runs another tea company out in LA. And he's the guy who introduced me to the world of business, especially small business, perhaps not startups, but really community-driven farmers markets or local businesses. And he was the one who taught me the basics of managing people, creating products, uh, how to sell. Just I was a terrible salesman when I first started, uh, some awkward kid. And he really sort of got me to learn how to sell products as well as sell myself. So he sort of opened up the door to business. And I actually just spoke to him last week. He's growing at a phenomenal rate. He's actually closing some wholesale orders now with some big companies in LA. So he's one person that comes to mind. But I think that the person who's probably helped me the most on this journey would be my father. Uh, you know, Towards the end of college, I studied economics and all my peers were talking about finding jobs in investment banking, private equity, management consulting. And I thought that's got to be the way to go. I don't think it's really something I wanted to do, but it's like what everyone else was doing. And my father who's a management consultant, by the way, told me two things, that if I went down this path, one, I'd hate it, and two, I would 100% end up getting fired within the first six months. Uh, so he sort of veered me towards the path startups, and he says, you know, just with the way I know you, because you know this is going to be a better fit. And he, he veered me towards that direction. I ended up working at a fintech before starting Gamelytics, and I think he was 100% right. So it's really those two mentors that I still keep in touch with today that have veered me on the path that I that I'm on. Yeah, it's funny when when you when you say that, I think about this Kevin O'Leary short clip where he's I think he's speaking to an, an Ivy League in a, in an Ivy League seminar and he's like half of you are going to be management consultants, investment bankers and or most of you will be and some of you will become like successful founders and there's nothing wrong with that at all it's just it takes a completely different mentality and drive for for one business versus being like working in the world of investment banking, management consulting, you know, that kind of finance. So that's yeah, that's really interesting to to have that feedback from you too. And so just fast forward to today, it would be great to talk to us about the idea that brought Gamelytics to life. Yeah, Gamelytics was an interesting one, actually. I think that the idea of it has evolved or pivoted over the short time that we've been alive, actually. Um, so the concept for Gamelytics started in my senior year of college. I read the book Moneyball by Michael Lewis, which you brought up the concept of sabermetrics and the story of how baseball started using statistics and the pushback from all the scouts and coaches who said, you know, I've got 20 years of experience with baseball. You're going to trust some kid with a computer instead of me. But this computer ended up being right and how the whole, the whole sport now has been revolutionized. And I had to write my economic thesis on a topic. And, you know, people were writing topics about interest rates in Europe or the decline of this and that. 
I approached my department asking if I could write about video games and applying the concept of sabermetrics to esports. And I, I wrote my I wrote my economic thesis on applying sabermetrics to esports. And my conclusion was that when you look at the stats of the best esports players in the world, the best players statistically aren't making the most money. And that's just not something you see in other sports, right? The best players usually end up making the most money because that's what that's what the money stands for, right? That they're a good player and they're worth it. And it brought on this notion that perhaps this new generation of sports isn't using statistics properly. And how can we build something to to help them get on the right path? You know, it took baseball 150 years to revolutionize. I'm a gamer. I love esports and I don't want it to take 150 years. So we started off as an esports analytics platform. And we quickly realized that there's so much more to helping esports teams than just analytics. And we've actually pivoted away from being just purely analytics to almost building like this HR platform where, you know, what Salesforce is to salespeople, uh, we are the same software for esports managers and esports coaches. And just how do you help uh, institutions manage mass groups of gamers? And as well as the analytics, of course, I'm sort of a data nerd at, her at heart. And I enjoy the analytics and looking at heat maps and creating products. But that's really how Gamletics was born through reading a book about baseball. That's awesome. And could you, for just for the audience, could you give a little bit of a, like a maybe a 30,000 foot landscape of what the esports landscape is like? Just for, for those that aren't familiar with how, I guess, esports works. Yeah. So esports is the term for electronic sports, or in other words, competitive or professional gaming. And, you know, a lot of people might not know this, but people fill up stadiums to watch people play video games now. Staples Center in LA, Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. Every year they're converted into these mass gaming stadiums. And esports is essentially same, uh, similar to your traditional sports. People come in to watch two teams play an event. And esports is the culmination of a various games. The top three games that we like to focus on are Dota 2, League of Legends, and Counter-Strike. And much like traditional sports, all of those titles, we'd like to think of them as separate sports. Esports is a culmination for the entirety of it. But, you know, a Dota 2 professional is equivalent to a basketball professional, and you'll never go play another sport. But essentially in esports, it's just competitive gaming at the professional level where they're making money and playing all around the world. Great. And for Gamelytics, is there a specific game that you're focusing on or are you focusing on a breadth of games? So we at Gamelytics want to focus on a bunch of esports titles. A lot of esports organizations actually have teams for multiple titles. So an organization will have three teams and the three games we plan to focus on are what I like to think are the biggest esports games. Again, Counter-Strike 2, which just came out this year, a new version after 10 years of no development on Counter-Strike. So super excited for that. Dota 2 and League of Legends. We plan to incorporate some of the other top esports titles, Overwatch, Rocket League. But the three that we're really focusing on have been there before I was born. Counter-Strike came out in 1999 and they sort of stood the test of time. And that's why we're focusing on the three ones that have really been, been in the space for a long time first. Yeah, uh, just a few like follow-ups on that. Like, what are the uh, current numbers on, you know, overall, let's say, prize money or revenue that's being generated in, in esports in general? And also, like, what are the, what would you say are the daily active users or monthly active users? And what percent of them would you say are professional gamers? I'm just curious on, like, on those kinds of metrics as well. In terms of prize money, prize money has shut up significantly. Talking about the Dota 2 
Dota 2 prize pool. Uh, the biggest tournament of the year is called TI, the international. And the prize pool for all the teams has gotten up to the point of $40, $40 million, which the teams share. So the prize pool for esports has just grown so much. And I think that is a test to the growth in gaming because the prize pools of gaming actually comes from people who play Dota 2 and buy the battle pass. And the prize money is, is a portion of that. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'll have to repeat your other questions if you could. Oh, yeah. So it was just trying to get, get a sense of kind of, you know, the overall prize money you think per year in, in, the, in the space. So I presume it's in the hundreds of millions, right? If, if one game is, is 40 million in a year. And I'm also, just for the audience, it'd be good to understand, like, you know, how big is, the, is, this, is this space? Like how many, how many like aspiring professional gamers are there in, in the world? Because I think when you look at it and it says online that there's, you know, 3 billion gamers, obviously that, that includes everyone who's playing Tetris on their, you know, on their phone. Right. So I'm just curious, like, like how many people would you say the market is on the professional side? Yeah, there are 3 billion gamers, but a lot of those are mobile games. I would say esports is sort of a underneath the gamb- uh, the gaming umbrella. It's a niche segment of gaming. Looking at the charts, you know, there's probably a couple million Counter-Strike players in the world, three to five million Dota players. The three esports games that, that I keep going back to, there's probably maybe 20, 20 to 30 million players in the world. And of that, a, a small segment of them are aiming to be professional. Yeah. But there's so much more to it now, too. I think a lot of them are just trying to go to college. Lots of universities offer scholarships for esports. So there's definitely different tiers to the level of aspiration and competitiveness that these gamers strive, strive to achieve. Okay. And, and going yet, back to the prize money, sorry. sorry, going back to the prize money, I think in 2022, there was about $280 million given back to professionals in terms of prize money across all titles. So yeah, it's a pretty big space and it continues to grow really fast. And of course, that also doesn't include all the all those possible sponsorships that they can get and like brand deals and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it seems like it really is becoming like a, you know, an actual career option for people in many in many parts of the world you mentioned about the the scholarships that are on offer where is that mostly consolidated i would say that's mostly consolidated in the us a lot of us universities are building esports programs at a club and competitive level and esports leagues at the collegiate level in the us have blown up i'm not sure about the ncaa but i think that even they are talking about the concept of esports but there's nace north american collegiate esports that a lot of schools are competing in. And I sort of see the direction of it moving towards the way football is with like Big 12 or different sort of leagues around the US. Esports is sort of heading in a similar direction. And a lot of esports teams are recognizing the growth in gamers, both for recruitment, but also at including another competitive varsity sport in their in their in their school. Okay. Uh, but we see it in we see it in Europe as well, but I think that the US has really adopted the concept of competitive esports at the collegiate level more. And I think it would be a really good idea because you mentioned about uh, the comparison to, let's say, a collegiate basketball athlete or, or even professional. What is the career path of someone that would want to be, would, that would like to go into esports? Because it starts a little bit younger than, than if you were to, you know, the traditional route of, you know, by the time you're tw- in your early 20s, let's say that's when you, in most sports, you would be in your you'd be at the playing at the professional level, but in esports, it's, it's a little, it's a little bit younger if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah. So esports careers are, I would say fairly short lived, much like normal professional athletes career. I like to think that esports careers might be even shorter lived 
Um, you know, in the professional scene, there's a lot of up and coming 16 year olds who are being traded to professional teams for a sum of money already. And esports is the movement. They're so small. You're clicking buttons on a keyboard or you're clicking a mouse that we're really talking about milliseconds here. And your reflexes from the age of 16 to 25 drop off. I don't want to say significantly. It's truly just a blink of an eye, right? But at the professional level, those milliseconds between being able to click on someone's head or not being able to click on someone's head results in you winning millions of dollars. And yeah, a lot of kids are being recruited at the age of 16 to join professional teams. But also a lot of people out of college try to try to join professional teams as well. And I think the space perhaps needs to needs to evolve a little bit. It reminds me a little bit about like the NBA years ago where kids could get drafted straight out of high school. But now if you look at the NBA, people are really pushing the idea of going to college first and then getting drafted after a couple of years in university. And I think that that's probably the direction the esports space might head in. But it's hard because people are really peaking early on. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really interesting. Like I couldn't imagine being, I guess comparatively it'd be like joining a football team where you know, you are recruited at 12 years old to go join Man United's academy. And then you just you, like at 16, you could have the potential of being out on the pitch. And to me, that that is uh, that's an insane concept. Like when I think about when I'm, I was 16 years old, like I don't I don't know if I was <laughs> capable of playing on a professional team of any standard. But but yeah, it's that's a really, really interesting. So really, most of these esports athletes, you know, in middle school, that's when they're kind of like grooming themselves to potentially be to join like early high school, middle school levels when they potentially could join a professional team. In that case, I guess, how would a, a, I guess, an athlete at that age be sourced or be scouted for the professional level? Is it, are there like just leaderboards or would it be through other platforms like Twitch or that, you know, they, they set up their their entire space and kind of live stream their own playing and get identified there. Just kind of curious about how talent is scouted at that age. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. I think there's two ways. I think one is definitely the create a Twitch and go expose yourself and your skills to people in the gaming space. But I think that the beauty of esports is that it's all online and there's these all these competitive games have these rank systems all the way from like a bronze to whatever the name of the top rank is. So and you're able to go and actually look at who are the top ranked players in the world and you can go and filter them and click on them, add them as a friend and just shoot them a message. If I'm a professional team, I could go look at the ranks, I could see the top 50 players in the world and shoot them all a message saying, "Hey, do you want to come play for my team?" So, you know, it's really the power is in the athlete, right? It's not like other traditional sports where your timing needs to get right. A scout needs to come watch a match where you're playing really well and there's an element of luck. In esports, if you're consistently performing at the top level, someone can go find you and see that you're performing at the top level and can shoot you a message. It doesn't have to be a specific day or week, which is the beauty of it. That's great. And, and that kind of transitions into the story of Gamelytics. And it'd be great to get a framework of, of what the past year has been like for the business and kind of what is the, where did the product start to where you are today? You had mentioned earlier about how it's at a high level, it's kind of reflects a, or resembles a little bit of the of an HR concept platform, but it'd be great to dive a little bit more into that. Yeah, the past year has definitely been a roller coaster. When we first started Gemlytics, uh, the concept of it was so different from what it is now. But yes, Gemlytics started with an idea of becoming an esports analytics platform that took analytics to the next level. There's a lot of websites out there that show players their stats and tells them how to get better. 
but we really wanted to focus more on the element of teams and help coaches. You know, going using a soccer analogy here, a lot of websites will tell individual players how to improve at dribbling. They say, hey, you're this good at dribbling. Here are some drills you can do to improve. What we're really looking to do is to tell a coach, if player X improves his dribbling, what does that allow your team to do? Does that, can you set up in a different formation? Can you play player X in a different way? How can you utilize this improvement in skill to the rest of your team, which is the next level of analytics that we see in traditional sports that we are still lacking in, in esports. And we started off with Counter-Strike 2 because it was coming out in 2023. We saw it was going to be a big hit. Lots of players were going to come play it. We were prepping the whole platform around it. Counter-Strike 2 comes out and it's kapui. It's bugs. People are cheating. No one's playing it. The pros say, don't play this terrible game. Uh, you know, months later, it's still okay, but our, our assumptions were completely off the mark. And even the game files themselves were buggy and we weren't able to analyze them and pull stats. So we had to pivot really quickly. So we went off to the other games that are the top three that we mentioned. We focus on League of Legends. And during that time, we talked to a bunch of professional teams and we learned that the professional space is not quite as healthy as it was a couple of years ago. We're actually going through a term that we call esports winter. During COVID, a lot of people turned to games. Gaming companies were on the rise. These valuations were insane. And we're sort of reaping the, the effects of that. So the professional scene is a little bit in shambles. So then we quickly realized, all right, we can't be focusing on that. We pivoted our attention over to the collegiate space, which is perhaps a more sustainable model. And we ended up talking with a bunch of college coaches. And that's where we we realized that it's not just analytics that coaches are looking for at the collegiate level, but also player management. How do you organize students? How do you build a sense of community around a platform that a coach can oversee everyone? And that sort of led us to where we are today, where we're focusing on League of Legends, as well as this community aspect of managing players, creating schedules, understanding your gamers, the person, and, and helping them out, uh, both at improving as a player, but also improving as a person, because college is truly a developmental time time in your life. And we're trying to see how gaming can can help students that way too. So yeah, the last, last year has been an absolute roller coaster. Yeah. But we've definitely learned a lot. Yeah. And I think uh, one other interesting thing that we were talking about before is, you know, your, your time in Chile too. And, and so it'd be great to give the audience a little bit of a framework of what it's been like at the accelerator there and how it's been like building the team and some of the other aspects of the business that, uh, that, that you've worked on. Yeah. So we got into the startup Chile program, um, which is a startup accelerator in South America, Santiago, where I currently am in August. So I've been here for the past six months. Time has flown by. I think the accelerator has been really useful for some things and perhaps not as useful as I thought for other things. Uh, you know, there's a lot of workshops where people come in and talk about going from this, this concept of building out early stage startups. How do you find your first customers? How do you market? How do you conduct user interviews, which I thought were super useful. But it seems like the startup ecosystem in Chile is not as big as it was in Thailand in terms of talking to investors or, or meetups or just the LATAM investment community as a whole. Uh, so that has been a bit of a change. But moving to Chile has been very interesting. We used to have a team in Thailand, but I'm a big believer in in-person work. I know that this might upset some people, but I'm not a fan of remote work. I truly think that people are more productive in the office. And I also think that, you know, an early stage company is really a cult. You're building a group of people who are just fascinated in solving this problem. And I like to think of Gamletics as sort of a six person cult and we all love games, which leads me to my next point, which is building a team for Gamletics, I think has been an interesting experience where 
or at least I'm sure every founder says this, we're a pretty cool company. We work in a pretty cool space, the gaming space. And when people apply for the job, they talk a little bit about their skill, but they really talk about their passion for games. Two of our employees, our, our devs, actually used to play professionally. So they've got a really deep understanding of, of how League of Legends work, of how esports works. They've got connections to gamers in the space, which is really, really helpful. And it's just been very interesting to see people talk about wearing multiple hats in startup life. And at Gamelytics, I think it really happens because we've got all these gamers who know teams, who know, know, the, know the game really well and can code as well. So it really hasn't, hasn't been too hard to find people who want to work on the project, but finding, building the right team has definitely been a challenge here in Santiago, especially with the language barrier. I'm still trying to learn my Spanish. Uh, I don't think I'm there anytime soon, though. That's uh, no, th- the thing that you just mentioned about like building a cult definitely like hits home with Dom and I because um, we literally, we, we did a podcast on this guy, right? You know, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, so, that's a yeah, great book. Great book, right? So we, I think one of the things that really stuck out to us was that that particular point where he says the best startups are less extreme versions of cults, right? And and yeah, it's something that we we find really important, especially in, in Cambodia, because you can't really motivate people as much with like salary and with equity. So you have to build a culture. And if you're not if you're not able to build a culture, you know, the startup, you know, you don't have any believers or co-founders alongside you and you know everyone else. So that's a very interesting interesting um interesting point. What about so so you currently have one other co-founder. Have you have you also been on a journey of maybe thinking about broadening your your co-founding team and having more kind of people come along or is it is it mostly sticking with two co-founders? and the rest being employees? You know, that's an interesting question. When I think about the role of a co-founder, uh, I'm not really sure whether we really need another one mm. uh, or not. I think that right now my my initial thoughts are that I would love to bring in another co-founder whose background is different to myself and my my current co-founder, who's Kui. She handles, sale, by the way, handles sales. I do product. I would love to bring in someone else who perhaps has a more technical background and can help us with the tech decisions. And I think from there, we've really got the three pillars. Uh, but off the top of my head, I'm not really sure. I think the role of a co-founder right now is to serve the employees. You know, When you think of like co- a founder in a company or a CEO, you sort of have this grandiose vision of like an Elon Musk visionary leader who's leading a company when really myself and my co-founders we're really shoveling shit. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this on the podcast, yeah. but I'm here to serve. <laughs> I, I serve to my it. investors. <laughs> I serve I serve my investors. I serve my customers. And most importantly, I serve my, my employees, right? My employees are actually, I like to think above me. And my job as CEO, I don't really like the acronym, is to help them execute, right? So yeah, to answer your question, sorry, I'm going on a tangent here, is we're definitely yeah. interested in, in bringing someone on board as a co-founder. But I think that at the moment... Uh, our team is small enough that the two mm. servants or the two co-founders now is enough to take care of the rest of the team. And I think as time continues, we'll explore that opportunity. Okay. Yeah. It's, no, it's one thing that Dom and I definitely like we talk about with, with, with a lot more founders. We actually especially find, um, you know, thinking back to Cambodia, there, there are actually a lot of companies here that are just um, one person shows and it's only, a, you know, it's only one co-founder. And yeah, that can that can cause issues over the long term with, with the business. But yeah, as, as you say, I think I mean having two is great. If you can get to three to four, that that's also that can that can also be really useful if you want to like kind of as you said like have more segmentation on um, on like pillars and responsibilities. Be motivating them with 
with equity as opposed to coming in on on salary mostly. So yeah, um, maybe just like looking out into the future a little bit more. What what are you kind of planning for for twenty twenty four? How is how is the journey looking for for Game Analytics for, for the next year? What are you what are your some key milestones you're looking to achieve? I think first and foremost. We just launched our MVP a couple of weeks ago. And the first thing we want to do is close our first sale. That's truly like the one, no, the number one milestone. Like I close my eyes at night and that's what I, I think about as I, before I go to bed. And I think that that's the true test of, of have we built something of value, right? Ultimately at the, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build something of value. And the real question is, is does, do we bring enough value that people are willing to depart with their cold cash to use it, right? So that's really the number one milestone that we're that we're, that we're looking for. And once we achieve that, of course, the goal is to continue scaling up to a point where hopefully we are cash flow positive or cash flow neutral or our burn is extremely low. So I would say the goals for Gamlytics are the goals that every startup should have from the beginning, which is continue to build a better product and continue to find customers and scale up revenue. And I think those go hand in hand as we build a better product and we work really closely with our users. Hopefully, more people hear about us and begin to use us. And with that money, we can continue to build a better product and find more users. It's really a never-ending cycle of product development and and making sales. I would say right now it's just making one sale. And then the goal for 2024 is probably to hit somewhere between the 5K MRR area. Okay. Okay, understood. And what is it like? So, I mean, so obviously uh, the, the company was founded and, you know, the team was originally based in Bangkok. What was it like for you, for the team and, and for yourselves also just like transitioning to like an entirely new culture and new way of kind of, kind of working? Is that, is that something you're, you're used to? I'm just curious, like how that, how that's been for you. Yeah, I think the change has been interesting going from Thailand, a place that I was born and raised. I know the city and the culture inside out to Santiago. It's been an interesting change. I think work-wise, the hours are a bit different here. People are eating dinner at 10, eating lunch at 3. So that's been a bit of a change. But in terms of work ethic, working as a team, I think that there's truly some fundamentals that are just universal and not a lot has been different. I think the biggest part for us was probably moving here and then finding the right people here uh, and then doing a knowledge transfer from, from our old team into the new team. But ever since we sort of worked out the kinks in the first few weeks, everything has gone pretty smooth. There's definitely been a bit of a culture shock, food, language, hours. But other than that, I think that startup life, I would say startup life is, is the same pretty much in Thailand, in the US, in, in Santiago. So it hasn't really been been that much of a change. But I guess I guess what can be intense is like the reason that you moved from, you know, to a country that you uh, that had, maybe had, hadn't lived in before is because of the company. And so you went with, with your co-founder and it's really then means, it must mean that like the business really feels like the driving force of, of what's going on. Yes. Yeah. I joke that I'm married to the business. I call my mom, call my friends. They're like, Hey, do you, how's life? How's your dating life? You have a girlfriend yet? I always tell them I'm married to the company. There's no time. There's no time to explore. But yeah, I would say the business definitely is a driving force. And another reason that I forgot to mention earlier is that when we first launched was Counter-Strike, actually, most of our users were in South America. Uh, Brazil is a huge hub for Counter-Strike. Years ago, they had a great team. When we looked on our analytics, we could tell that most of our users were from Brazil Colombia. So we saw that moving to Santiago would also bring us closer to our users, which is always better. Talk to some teams here, talk to gamers here. But then of course, Counter-Strike 2 came out and, and pivoted our path. 
but ultimately we, we first came out here to get closer to the users. But yeah, the business was definitely the driving force in, in moving out here so suddenly. Hmm. Okay. Oh, sorry. I think, yeah, back to you, Dom. Yeah. Just, I guess, in just thinking about the future of the space in, in an ideal world, where do you see the esports industry being in, in the next three to five years? Would it be that there's less fragmentation? Would you see that there's a more streamlined position for gamers that are early, early in their careers, say middle school level, to have a clear path of becoming a professional, maybe going to the collegiate level, playing in university, and then having that flywheel effect of still working within the esports space after they graduate or after they retire as a gamer. Just kind of curious to see like your ideas of how you would how you would think would be the best way for the industry to to grow. Yeah, that's a interesting question. Uh, you know, I think I have my my visions and my assumptions, uh, but I'm I'm not really sure how the space is is going to look in 3 to 5 years. I think that you're definitely right that there will be more central centralization and less fragmentation in the esports space. We already see that happening. Uh, you know, companies like Activision are getting bought out by Microsoft. Uh, a lot of a lot of the big tech companies are realizing that Gen Z and millennials are most of their screen time is in gaming, right? And they're investing a lot of their a lot of their tech and time into the gaming space now. And I think that we're also seeing the formalization on the education side as well. High schools and middle schools are building out esports programs, and colleges are. I speak to some coaches actually that say they work in the college space and they actually go to high schools and try to recruit from the high schools to come to their college. So I think you're right on the mark with, you know, students in middle school can begin to sort of pick their, instead of picking basketball or football, they're going to pick Counter-Strike or Dota or League of Legends and specialize in that and try to go to a D1 League of Legends school and compete in that league. And I think that there will also be opportunities to involve esports in your life, even not at the athletic level. I actually just spoke to an institution in the UK called the College of Esports. And what they are is they're a college that trains people to become esports managers, esports coaches, or esports educators. And all those people graduate from that college with an esports degree and go off to do different things in esports. So I think that the recognition that that esports is a legitimate industry, and there's lots of room to play a part in it is definitely going to continue to grow. And I think that we see that both on the gaming side as well as the educational side. And they're sort of building the pathway to success to, to incorporate esports in your life, either as an athlete or just as a another job. Great. And just uh, kind of in parallel with that, you know, how are you looking to adapt and reposition Gamelytics to continue your growth trajectory as the, you know, as time goes on, as the industry develops? Is it just remaining flexible and as the the tides change more or less or are you you know what i guess what is your you know what is your view on that yeah i think that we at gamlytics definitely have a vision for how we want to be placed in the esports market you know we see a fit where it's like this is what we want to be the tool for of course i think that's the goal for all companies is to carve out their own segment in the market and and serve a group of customers Uh, but sometimes that can't happen right gotta go with the tide and I think that we sort of we're going with the tide right now as we see esports centralization happening. We're seeing esports education institutions recognize the importance of it and also understand the difficulty of managing mass large groups of gamers. And I think that's really the the niche or where we're trying to position ourselves. It's hey, you know, there's no platform out there to help you do 
what you want to do with these large groups of gamers, right? How can you schedule practices? How can you see if they're improving? And that's the niche we're trying to serve. And it seems as if though esports is trending in that direction, which is great for us. But in three to five years, who knows what's going to happen in the space and uh, who knows what we're going to have to pivot to. But right now, we're definitely trying to carve out our own niche. Yeah. In that same vein, too, are there any other competitors within the space that are doing something similar or that that you that you almost couldn't also drive some inspiration from too as you grow your product? For sure. I think that we're pretty unique in the space. I don't think there's anyone who does perhaps exactly what we're doing, but I think that there's a lot of people who are doing fragments of what an HR platform does. There's a lot of people that help with recruitment and that's with uh, helping middle school or high school students find college scholarships. There's people that are doing analytics and helping individual players get better to perhaps join the varsity team. There's people that are helping connect teams and gamers. You know, if you're a team looking for a gamer, we will we can help connect you. But the thing that we haven't really found yet is the management side, sort of the how can you create a company inside a software platform and within that company create a Trello board of your teams and inside that team create a Trello board of your players and get information on them and write notes and things like that, which is really what we're looking to do. You know, project management platforms are in construction, in business and sales everywhere. But esports is a bit unique, and that's really what differentiates us. Uh, we're trying to become like a project management tool for esports teams. But of course, there's a lot of other competitors that we draw inspiration from uh, that do analytics and a bunch of really other cool stuff in the space. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, as we transition to the last part of our of the discussion, just have a couple questions I'd like to ask you. And, you know, being a gamer, having the passion, having having a very strong passion for the space, would love to hear what your setup is currently like. What is, what's the, what are, what are your, uh, what's your hardware that you use? That's a great question. Actually, I'm sitting right by my gaming PC right here. I've got a toast box. I've got a toaster box case. I'm actually not quite sure about my specs. I bought it from some Chilean guy on a marketplace and it looked in pretty good condition and it's worked pretty well. But yeah, it's funny running a gaming company. I find myself probably gaming less than I ever have in my life. Sadly, I, you know, I work some weird hours. I've got calls for in the EU. So I'm up at, at weird hours. I, I unfortunately don't have a lot of time to game. So yeah, I'm not quite sure on my specs, but I do have a setup. Of course, I play with my team after work all the time. So that's a great question. No, that, that's really cool. Always, always curious. If, if you, aside from PC, if you had to, if you had to pick a, a console, which one would you choose? I'm a, I'm a PlayStation guy. Okay. I had a PlayStation back home and I think it's easier to connect to a sim rig. So I'm big into F1 and the PlayStation oh, nice. is more, more compatible with sim racing, which I, which I had back home as well. So that's why I'm a, I'm a Sony for life guy. Fair enough. Are you, are you an avid watcher of F1 today too? Or? Oh yeah, we're Fui and I, my co-founder, we're both huge F1 fans, and okay. yeah, wake up at all hours of the night to watch the races around the world. How are you feeling about the Lewis Hamilton move over to Ferrari? Feel like oh, that was a <laughs> absolutely crazy. I I can't wait for 2025. I the season the 24 the 2024 season's about to start, and I already wish it was 2025. I think it's going to be so interesting to see. So you think it's going to be the redemption year, him coming back, taking on Verstappen and, and taking him down? Or what do, you, what do you think? I hope so. I'm actually a McLaren fan at heart. I'm a huge Lando Norris fan. And funny enough, he's a gamer. He's a huge gamer. He actually oh, nice. owns a gaming company called Quadrant. Maybe there's a bias there. 
But yeah, I'm definitely hoping that for 2024 to be a more exciting season than 2023, but that's a pretty low bar. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it feels like uh yeah, it was it was a one uh one driver race in that sense. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really interesting. You know, with uh with as you mentioned, you know, being a founder, you're you're having to have so much of your focus on the business, but in the times that you unwind, you know, you you talked about gaming with the team, you know, building that camaraderie, but are there any other habits or things that you do that help you stay focused every day, kind of keeping your mind on the mission or on the North star of the direction of the business? Yeah, I think that there's, there's two things. I think I'm going to answer this question in perhaps two segments. One is sort of clearing my mind, which I think I've gotten better as at a founder. When I first started, there was always something to do. I didn't really schedule out time or carve out time to take care of myself, whether that was going to the gym or doing exercise which I, I regularly book in now. I like to play the sport called paddle, which is a mix between tennis, like tennis with glass walls. It's huge here in South America, which is great. So I, I scheduled some time out to play paddle a couple times a week. And I think that, you know, sure, I'm not, I'm not working in those hours, but just exercising and, and not thinking about Gamletics for a while definitely clears your mind. So that's the clearing mind segment. And I think the next part is the inspiration. Uh, being a huge gamer, I play a lot of games. But more importantly, I also watch a lot of gaming and I see esports. I watch a lot of Dota. I like to watch Counter-Strike. And I think that watching professional gaming and hearing the casters and the level of analysis they have and the insight they give into the game shows how much more there is to be done in the space in terms of bringing these analytics and these insights and literally spoon feeding them to the casual gamer, which is really nice to see. You know, how do we take the analysis in the mind of, of an analyst and put that in a visually stunning way on the Gamletics platform. So that's really how I, one, stay motivated and two, sort of keep myself fit, both body and mind. Great. Uh, what, one other question that we like to ask everyone is, um, what is, what is probably one of the most important books that you've ever read, uh, whether that's business or personal, that have really had a, a big impact on you? That's a really good question. Give me a second here to think about that. No um, I think one book that comes to mind, which might be perhaps an interesting take, it's it's a speculative fiction book by Yuval Noah Harari. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the author. Yep. But yep. Homo Deus. Homo Deus is mm. probably the most transformative book I've read in my life. I think that in that book, he talks about the future of humanity and how we're going to utilize information and data more importantly, and how artificial intelligence is going to help us with so many things. And I read that book in college multiple times, actually. And it really helped me understand the value in analyzing large sets of data that we as a species are now able to collect or we have so much of, right? And I think that I think that the things that he talked about, albeit not gaming, but healthcare, military, civilian use, really broaden my understanding of how can we utilize information to bring value to a group of people. And I think, although I do that for a very specific niche, which is gaming, the overall fundamentals that he talks about in that book has have been the pillar for a lot of my thoughts with Gamblitics. Yeah, for me, I've actually have, I only really started reading a bit of Homo Deus. I didn't actually manage to get through it, but, I, but Homo, sorry, Sapiens had a big impact on me. He's, I mean, he's a very unique thinker and he's able to like crystallize such such large concepts into you know he just be able to explain things very well so 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I find his like that he's an optimist. You know, I mm. think that a lot of people are talking about the downfall of humanity, but when I read his books, you know, I might be wrong here, but I really think that his outlook for humanity is is a positive one that we are going to mm. learn how to how to use data and become in a more more efficient civilization. So, it, it was a very interesting read and I agree he's a phenomenal author. I recommend go read all three of his books if you can. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's the one thing that's really enjoyable about about having, I mean, sometimes people say we're a bit too glass half full, but when we when we have startup founders on the podcast, generally you have to be, in order to be a founder of something innovative and you have to see a positive future, right? So um, yeah, we're like, we we definitely have that same same appreciation and, and especially in, in some some of the regions that, that we're in as well, you, you do see that um, that positivity like from anyone you talk to, not maybe if you're sitting in Europe and things, you know, you've got, you know, you've got wars next door and you've got like GDP growth kind of stagnating and, you know, aging economies. It's, it's, it seems easier to be like, start to get like negative about the future. But, but yeah, I think what we're all involved in is it's, it's, it's easy to see the, like a positive future being built. Definitely. Yeah. Our last question that we like to ask uh, every single guest is what is the most important piece of advice that you've ever been given? That's another great question. Yeah, we should have we <laughs> we should have uh, sent it to you before, but sometimes we just like to kind of see what the natural you know natural answer is to that. I think that the best piece of advice that I've been given is to, I think, do something that you enjoy. I think that I spent a lot of my, albeit short short amount of time in life, doing things I don't enjoy. Uh, in my teenage years, I was a high level tennis player. I was thousand in the world when I was 16, and uh, I hated it. I, I spent hours of my life doing this thing that I hated. And then in the tea business, I also did not enjoy tea. I don't, I don't enjoy drinking tea, but my life revolved around this tea business. And I think that I've, same with making my career decisions when I was thinking about doing, going into management consulting or things like that. You know, it, it seems like I kept falling into this trap of doing things that, that I didn't think I was going to enjoy. Uh, just because it seemed had the opportunity to do it or because it seemed like the right thing to do. And I think that the biggest piece of advice that I could give you is, you know, cent- center your life around something that 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 you find happiness in. I know that this is perhaps a little bit cliche and there's definitely people in the world that can't do that. Uh, I am privileged enough to, I think, have a job or center my life around something that I'm truly passionate about. And I, I think that this is something I'm going to take away, perhaps even Gamletics, and always, always ask myself, like, hey, is this something I really want to do? Does this make me happy? Am I interested in this? Not just do it for the sake of doing it. Yeah, and sometimes like there can be some nuance between like happiness and and enjoyment. Or like I think one one person that we f- we follow says, you know, if you can make work play, mm-hmm. that's that's a really in, you know that that can be really enjoyable. But yeah, yeah, the concept actually I, I like to think about that I, that I've read a little bit on is ikigai, which is a Japanese mm. principle, secret uh, ha- happiness to to life, right? Which is do something you love something you're good at, something you can get paid for, and something the world needs. And when I think about that with Gamletics, I think that I fit three of those things. I think I do something I love. I like to think I'm pretty good at building this platform. Hopefully, I think in the next week when we close our first customer, we can get paid for it. Does the world really need an esports HR platform? That one I'm on the fence about, right? But I think that if I can, if I can answer three of the four, that's probably good enough for me. But that's sort of a concept I like, I like to go with. Great, great. On that, 
on that note, we really want to thank you for taking the time to come on Rising Giants podcast. It's been a it's been a great conversation learning about esports, gaming, etc. So we wish you no, all the best you. with your yes. with the yeah. Future. It was it was a lot of fun, guys. I, thanks so much for having me, and uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, thank you, Casino. I'm just and stopping that. There we go. Oh, <laughs> man, that was exhausting. I don't know how you guys do that every week. <laughs> we had three this week. This is the second one today for me. Yeah. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I hope I did okay. I think a couple times no. I went on went on a tangent a bit, but I, I think second half I tried to focus in more on the questions. So, But I appreci- appreciate having having me on the podcast, guys. Yeah.